Welcome to another inspirational teaching from the Neighborhood Church. We pray that you be blessed by it. Well, so glad you're with us at the Neighborhood tonight. We have uh, spent some time uh, worshiping our Lord in song, and hopefully you've spent a bit of time visiting over the last few minutes. And now we're going to bow our souls before God in humility and receive instruction from His Word. But before we uh, dig into that, next week is uh, outward focus for our church. The week uh, that starts with Monday, January the 21st. And uh, there's all kinds of things we want to be doing in our community. We value being a part of our community. We place a high value in making our community a better place. The church is meant to be light uh, in its community. So we need your help to do that. And we're just going to, Trevor, come give me a hand here. We're just going to pass these sign-up sheets, get one started in this center section and one in that center section. And uh, Pastor Joel, when they get to the back, make sure they get started on uh, the side sections as well. Find something you can do to just... uh, just serve, serve one another, and serve our community. So last week we began a series on the awesome power of focus. The awesome power of focus. And we're going to continue uh, that series uh, this evening. But before we dig into some new material, let's review uh, what we picked up last week. So we were in Genesis chapter 24 last week. Genesis chapter 23, Sarah has died. Abraham's wife has died. And now Abraham is looking at his life and uh, we saw in Genesis chapter 24 that he processed and we need to process four questions if we're going to live uh, focused lives. And the first question that Abraham dealt with was, where am I now? And you'll never really have focus for going forward in your life if you don't answer that question. Where am I now? And Abraham knew where he was, verse 1 of Genesis 24. He was old. He was a widower. Uh, And he didn't have any grandkids. He knew where he was. Do you know where you are? Have you done an honest evaluation of where you are now? And then the second question we looked at uh, last week was the question, what do I want to become? Notice that that is very different than a secular worldview. Uh, We do not have conformed minds. We have transformed minds. We're believers in Christ. We're followers of Jesus. And so we see life and we see the world completely different than a secular person would. So if a secular person was asking this question, uh, they would be saying, what do I need to do? But the question for a Christian is, what do I need to become? 
God is far more concerned about who you're becoming, the condition of your heart, the development of your character, than anything you'll ever accomplish in this world. God is concerned about who you are becoming. So the second question you have to focus in on, zero in on, is what do I want to become? And then the third question, and, and we, we saw these truths in Genesis chapter 24 as, as Abraham appointed his servant to help him with this, is how do I become what I need to become? Abraham needed to become a granddad. And uh, we saw the plan and the, the depths of uh, work that Abraham and his servant went to in order that uh, he could become a granddad. So that's where we were last week. Now we, we fast forward the story, and, uh, and his son Isaac has found his wife. Genesis 24 was successful. He got married uh, to Rebecca, and they really loved each other. It was a, it was a a good, rich relationship. But as much as they loved each other, uh, they didn't prove to be very wise parents. They had twin sons. And their uh, twin sons were Jacob and Esau. And these two sons created a challenge for them because dad really loved Esau. And mom really loved Jacob. And it created all kinds of problems in the home. They were not deeply in love with each other, but they were not wise parents. Now, if you're here tonight, you got children and you like one of them more than another, I've got some advice for you. Stop it! Stop it! That's stupid. That's not wise. It's going to create problems for you. They had this problem. Dad really loved Esau, and Mom really loved Jacob. Jacob was... uh, Uh, an interesting guy. The first 40 years of his life, uh, he had spent scheming and trying to win absolutely everything. You could not have an argument with Jacob that he did not insist on winning. Had to come out and charge and in top all of the time. And as a result of that, he ended up having to leave his dad and mom and leaving his brother and going to live with his uncle Laban. And uh, things in some levels went pretty well for him when he was living with his uncle Laban. So uh, this is now Abraham's grandson we're talking about, Jacob. Some things went well, but some things got very difficult because we reap in life from our sowing, unfortunately. And fortunately, depending how you've been sowing. And he'd been scheming and tricking and 
trying to get what he wanted every single time. And he must have inherited a little bit of that gene from Uncle Laban because Uncle Laban had two wives and Jacob fell in love with the younger one and the prettier one. Um, but uh, on the wedding day, Dad switched women in the tent. Uncle Laban switched women in the tent, and he ended up being married to the older, ugly one. And he had to work another seven years to get the gal he really wanted. So he's, he's lived a trickster's life. He's been a supplanter. He's been a controller. And then he finds out there are other people in the world who like to live like that too. Jacob reaps what he has sown. And so he lives away from uh, his brother. He lives away from his parents for at least 20 years. And then the end of Genesis chapter 31 God speaks to him and says, it's time to go home. And the last verse of chapter 31, you see, uh, uh, you see Jacob and his two wives meeting with Uncle Laban, who was also his father-in-law. Family life can get confusing. And they're kissing and they're embracing and they're saying uh, their goodbyes. And then we get to the story of Jacob that I want to talk to you about tonight. Because I think in Abraham's grandson, we get the revelation of what we really need to do to become what we need to become. In Abraham's grandson, we get the revelation of what we really need to do to become what we need to be come. And so after saying goodbye to his father-in-law, he begins this journey uh, towards home. And we read this statement, and I'm just going to highlight some verses from the story in Genesis uh, chapter 32. Uh, he says this, I fear him. So Jacob is on his way home, but he is afraid. And he's afraid of getting home to see his brother. Because when he left his brother, he did not leave his brother on good terms. He'd controlled him. He'd taken advantage of him. He'd supplanted him. He'd, he'd, he'd not been a nice brother. And now he's making his way back, and he... He fears him. Jacob is afraid to go home and meet his brother. So he does what people tend to do when they're afraid. Fear makes most, pe most people believers to some level. He prayed a prayer. And this is his prayer in Genesis chapter 32 verse 9. God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord who said to me, return to your country. He's suddenly a man of prayer. But notice who he's praying to. Notice who he's praying to. He's praying to his grandpa's God and he's praying to his dad's God, but he's not acknowledging any personal relationship with God himself. God himself. 
He's not at the place yet where he is a surrendered man, where he's given in to God. He knows that grandpa's God and his dad's God's there to help, but he's not personally surrendered to him. So he refers to the relationship his dad had and his grandpa had with God. So he prays. He prays. And after praying... Listen to this. After praying, he didn't wait for God to give him any instruction or any direction. Because <laughs> what's he? He's a controller. He's a take charge guy. He's not going to wait for anybody to tell him what to do. He's prayed, but now it's time for action. Got to get things done, 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 done. So he gets doing things. And he says, I'm afraid to meet my brother, so I better come up with a plan here. And he goes and gets 550 animals. And he's getting 550 animals so he can offer these she-goats and these he-goats and these camels. And we talked about camels last week. Gets these 550 animals because he's going to give them to his brother... Actually, he's going to get his servants to give them to his brother. So by the time he gets to meet his brother, everything will be nice and everybody will be ready. Everybody will be ready to see him and, and talk to him. So he divides them into two groups. And the reason he divides them into two groups is in case Esau decides to attack. And if they attack one of them, then the other group can run back and everything. At least he'll have half of his animals left. And he has to cross uh, the river Jabbok. Now, interestingly, the river Jabbok is on the east side of the Jordan River. It's very close to the resort we stayed at, uh, those of us who were on the Israel trip in October. And he's on one side of the Jabbok River, and he's got to get to the other side of the Jabbok River. And he makes a decision. We don't know why he makes the decision. But he sends his two groups of animals across the river. He sends his two wives and all of his kids across the river. And Jacob stays back on the other side of the Jabbok River. And this is what we learn. This is what the next verse that I want to point out says. Jacob was left alone. Not only was Jacob left alone, Jacob was left alone overnight. Most of us who live in cities know absolutely nothing about darkness. Because there's lights on here and there, and there's street lights. I can guarantee you there were no street lights in the desert by the Jabbok River. And Jacob is left alone. Jacob is left alone in pitch blackness. And while he's there, while he's alone, Maybe for the first time in his life, he really has to think. 
One of the reasons we live such unfocused lives as Christians, one of the reasons we live unfocused lives as Christians is because we're so afraid to be left alone. So afraid to be left alone. We can't even pray alone. We're going to go pray alone. We've got to make sure we put on some music so we don't feel completely alone. We're afraid of just being alone, alone with God, alone with his presence. Jacob here is left completely alone. I ask you the question, how do you become what you want to become? How do you become what you need to become? I'm absolutely convinced it starts with getting alone with God. And unless you develop a discipline in your life of getting alone with God, you'll never develop an upward focus And because you don't have an upward focus, you don't have an eternal focus. Your life is going to be about you. And your will and your ways and your desires and your plans and your dreams and the way you think things should get done because it's all about getting things done, 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 done. When the truth of the matter is God's far more concerned about who I'm becoming and who you're becoming. Jesus practiced this. What are we? We're Christians. We're Christ followers. How did Jesus live? Matthew. Matthew chapter 14, verse 23. Sent the crowds away. Went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Took a CD player, though. And when it was evening, he was there alone. Just him and the Father. Alone. Joseph, Jacob was left alone. Jesus is alone. Mark chapter uh, 6, 46 and 47. Bidding them farewell, he left for the mountain to pray. When it was evening, the boat was in the middle of the sea and he was alone. Some of us avoid being alone because when you're alone, the only person there is God. And who would want to be alone with God? He might invade my life if I get alone. So we keep busy, keep doing things plan activities, we go to church services. Jesus wasn't afraid of being alone. Matter of fact, before Jesus made maybe one of the most crucial decisions of his ministry, the Gospel of Luke, we read this. The Gospel of Luke, 12 and 13, chapter 6, was at this time that he went off to the mountain to pray And he spent the whole night in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he also named as 
he got alone. And he listened for the voice of God and he got instructions from the presence of God. One of the downfalls of most churches, I suspect, and one of the downfalls of many of us as pastors, and one of the downfalls of a lot of Christians is they're afraid of getting alone. Jacob finds himself alone. Alone, maybe, for the very first time in his life. And what happens? Genesis chapter 32, 24, second part of the verse, a man showed up and wrestled with him until daybreak. And this was no ordinary man. Uh, this was God himself coming, the theological term is a theophany, God coming himself and and demonstrating himself. How do we know that? Because as Jacob wrestled with him, this is, this is how he described him. Genesis 32, 30. I have seen God face to face. So Jacob is alone. Everybody else is on the other side of Jabbok River. The 550 animals are there. His two wives are there. His kids are there. And Jacob is all alone in the dark. And this God-man shows up. And this God-man begins to wrestle with him. Jacob didn't initiate the fight. Jacob didn't initiate the fight. The God-man came to wrestle with him. Jacob is brought to God by God. Jacob was brought to God by God. I think most of us have swollen heads and, understand, and swollen understandings of our own importance and role in life. A number of months ago, Kathy Maragus gave me a, a devotional book that I often read at the beginning of the day and and in it, as I was reading it and contemplating life, I, I realized that, man, I really have very little to say about my life at all. I didn't choose where I was born. I didn't have any say in who my parents are, the family and the heritage I was raised in. And then as I go through even a routine day that I think I have planned out and I can do what I want to, I see that God feels very free to interrupt me with almost anything he chooses almost every day. I have very little control. 
And Jacob finds himself alone, <laughs> and the God-man shows up and begins to wrestle him. When our three sons were little, every day off I began to take, we used to take all the cushions off all the couches and we would wrestle in the living room. Our middle son obviously was impressed because he chose to become a wrestler in his teen years, won a number of gold medals as the best wrestler in this province in his weight category. And one of Kyle's favorite things was to decide to wrestle dad without announcing it. And I would just be going through the normal joys of life and all of a sudden this pipsqueak of a kid is wrestling me. Wrestling is not like somebody hitting you or punching you. When somebody punches you, you can punch them back or you can run. But when somebody wrestles you, you've only got two choices. You surrender and let them pin you. Or you try to fight back and pin them. I had probably 80 pounds on Kyle most of his teen years. Still might have 80 pounds on him. But I could never win the fight because he knew what he was doing. And Jacob, on the other side of the Jabbok River, in the middle of the night, it's pitch dark and he's all alone. God shows up, God-man shows up and begins to wrestle with him. And Jacob was wired to always be in control. Jacob was type A personality. Jacob was driven. Jacob had to be in charge. Jacob had to, had to be the guy who wins the discussion. He's not going to give in to God-man. And Jacob fights God all night. And finally, he gets to a place where probably for the first time in his life he realized, I can't win this one. You see, Jacob always had to win. If, if, you, if you read the story, he's a twin. Now, what's it mean if he's a twin? That means there's two of them inside mom. And the birth pains start, and it's time for delivery. And what's the story tell us? <coughs> Jacob grabbed his brother by the heel 
and said, no way are you getting out of here before me. He lost, but even in his birth, he was the one who had to, had to be first, had to be in charge, had to win. And now he fights with God all night. And here's the wonderful nose. He comes out of it a changed man. How do you come become who you're meant to become? You get alone with God and you let him wrestle with you. I don't think there's really any other way. And as a result of wrestling with God, we see that Jacob gets a new name. Genesis chapter 32 and verse number 38, your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel. Jacob means supplanter, and Israel means prince of God. Jacob's no longer, after spending a night alone with God, is no longer the supplanter. But God changes his very nature, his very character, the very core of his being. And he comes out of a night alone with God, no longer a supplanter, but a prince with God. There's more that changes. <laughs> Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When he saw that he'd not prevailed against him, he touched the socket of his thigh, so the socket of Jacob's thigh was dislocated while he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, for the dawn is breaking. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, what's your name? He said, Jacob, your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with man and have prevailed. And Jacob asked him and said, please tell me your name. He said, why is it that you ask my name? And he blessed them there. Now the sun rose upon him just as he crossed over Penuel, and he was limping on his thigh. Therefore, to this day, the sons of Israel do not eat the sinew of the hip which is on the socket of the thigh because he touched the socket of Jacob's thigh in the sinew of his hip. Jacob spent a night alone with God, and Jacob came out not just with a new name, but Jacob came out with a new walk. Never ran, never won a race again. Spent the rest of his life walking with a limp. to suggest to you tonight that 
God wants all of us to learn to walk with a limp. And the strength we exhibit in ourselves and the self-confidence we often carry is a detriment to God doing what he wants in our lives and it's a detriment to us becoming what we are meant to become. We read it in Proverbs over and over again, before honor comes humility. First Peter chapter five, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the, the humble. And Jacob comes out a changed man. Guy who always had to be in control spends the rest of his life remembering he's not quite as strong as he thought he was. He got a new walk. And there's another change in the story. After a night alone with God in the dark, he's got new relationships. Genesis 33, 1 to 4. Jacob lifted up his eyes and Esau was coming. 400 men with him. So he divided the children among Leah and Rachel and the two maids. He put the maids and their children in front, Leah and her children next, Rachel and Joseph last. But he himself passed on ahead of them and bowed down to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. And then Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him. And they wept. A night alone with God in the dark changed the heart. And when the heart got changed, the relationships changed. Because Jacob no longer had to get his own way every single time. Jacob now was willing to humble himself bow and say, yeah, let's do it your way. Yeah, I'd do it different, but I'm going to honor you. I respect you. Relationships changed. After a night alone with God in the dark. So this week, beginning Monday, we're going to spend a week as a church on upward focus. We're going to organize our lives to fast. 
we're going to miss meals. Some of you are going to miss one or two. Some of you are going to say, Pastor, I need to get all in here because there's a lot in my life that needs to be changing. And, and some of you aren't going to eat all week and bless you as you do. But we're setting this week aside to make sure our focus is on him. And not all these things that we think are so important and these, all these things we need to get done, 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 done. Because God's not really that concerned about what you get done. But he's lightly concerned about who you're becoming. So we set aside this week to spend time with him. should say 10 hours or 15 hours of congregational prayer, 10 prayer meetings, Monday to Friday. One starts at 5, one starts at 6.30. There's a reason for that. You can come to 2 and pray for 3 hours and it won't kill you. Jacob actually spent a whole night with God and it changed him. We understand the realities of schedules, so at 6.30 there's a chance for you to come and start or there's a chance for you to leave, but you can stay for the whole thing too. And we're going to ask God to take our eyes off of ourselves and our wills and our desires and our need to get our own way and our need to control and ask him to put our eyes on him. Jacob called the place he prayed, Peniel. I've seen God face to face. My heart's desire for us as a church, my heart's desire for you as individuals is that you'll see Jesus this week. He'll come and meet with you. And may I suggest it might even be good if we let him wrestle us to the ground a little bit. I closed with Hebrews chapter 11 and verse number 6. It's impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that is a rewarder of those who seek him. Saturday church, hear me now if you would. I'm uh, smart enough as your lead pastor to not have a favorite venue. I really don't. I love every one of our venues equally and pray for them. All of them and I pray for all of you. But can I share an observation? About 90% of our prayer meetings are attended by Sunday morning Pinehouse people. And that scares me 
children need to know you believe in prayer. And your children need to hear you say once in a while, Dad's going to look after you tonight because I'm going to the church to pray. They need to hear you say once in a while, Mom's going to be home alone tonight because I'm going to the church to pray. Because if we don't raise up this generation to pray, by the next generation, we will have no church. I'll be dead and gone. won't be my problem. But it will be a problem for your kids. So I make a simple request. Don't leave this week of prayer and fasting. Don't leave this week of upward focus to the old people. Let's be people who are willing to let all the other activities go on ahead without us this week because we're going to figure out how to get along with God. Let's stand. We know you enjoyed this teaching from the Neighborhood Church from our Pine House location here in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. To touch base with us from anywhere in the world that you're listening, or maybe you're just at the gym or in your car, you can text the word Pine House to 306-800-5296. There you can fill out our digital connect card. Or if you want to give it a distance, or maybe you've been working weekends or just can't make it to the city, Text the initials TNC to 705-230-8977. Through that little portal, you can give or tithe or even give to missions. For any more information about The Neighborhood Church, you can check us out online at theneighborhoodchurch.org. God bless you and have a great week.